Hello to all of you here and to those joining us online and to all our campuses. It is a good day to be together to worship uh, with you here or online and at all our campuses because the Lord has made this day and that's why it is good. I'm rather curious, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? Well, I'll give you a few of my fears. I fear every time my mother calls me by my full name. <laughs> it causes me intrepidation. I fear every time, I don't know about you, but this always happens to me. I fear every time I'm eating dinner in a restaurant with my family and I'm paying for the bill and that stupid tap limitation won't let me tap to pay for the bill. So then they ask me for my PIN number on the only credit card I happen to have on me. Who on earth remembers their credit card PIN number? Done dishes a few times. Last one, I fear when my wife Amanda says, honey, we need to talk. According to psychotherapists, here are the top 10 fears. Change, loneliness, failure, rejection, uncertainty, something bad happening, getting hurt, being judged, inadequacy, and loss of freedom. Whether your fears involve your relationships, career, death, or discomfort, listen, staying inside your fears and your comfort zone in your little safe bubble because of your fears and worry and concerns will ensure one thing. It will ensure that you live a very, very small, safe life. And God doesn't want that. God wants you to be safe, yes, but he wants you to be alive and he wants you to live well and he wants you to be able to enjoy and walk through life with friends and family and people and take certain levels of risk and to become alive and to live and to have an abundant, what he calls an abundant life and to live well. We are in a current series on the most famous psalm known to the world, Psalm 23, and we've been going through Psalm 23 one verse at a time. Today we come to verse four, which is rather a little bit serious. It uh, declares such resolve and confidence in the face of fears and in the face of deep, dark, difficult valleys that we've all been through, and some of you in this room are going through it right now. It reads this in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The good shepherd the good shepherd that we've been talking about, the good shepherd depicted in Psalm 23 is the Lord God himself. In the New Testament, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, refers to himself as the good shepherd, meaning we, as his followers, are his sheep. We are his sheep. And he leads his sheep along the hillsides like a shepherd. On mountaintop experiences, on dangerous cliffs to make sure they're safe, and places of water, still waters, 
to drink from, to care for them, and fields where they can graze and be fed. And then they need to move on to the next. Check out this photo of a bunch of sheep coming down from a mountaintop. I don't know about you, but when you're on a beautiful mountaintop experience, and you have beautiful views, you're in a beautiful place, you're in a beautiful vacation, you just want to stay there forever. You don't want to go home. Have you ever been on vacation and you're like, I don't want to go home? But reality comes to all of us and we got to go home, don't we? And then sometimes if you stay long enough in a beautiful place, in a beautiful destination, wherever that may be, you begin to grow and you miss your bed. You miss home. You miss home sweet home, even though the hotel and the place you're staying at is a very fine and nice place. You know, the sheep and the shepherd, they can't stay on mountaintop experiences, grazing and drinking still waters all the time because all of a sudden the rain and the storm comes. And when the rain and the storm comes, the weather and the elements push them and force them to go find shelter like normal people would. They go find shelter and to find shelter and to find a new place to graze. And as, a, as the snow and the waters melt off the top of the mountain, they run down into the valley and crevices. And now the shepherd's got to go, hey, guys, we got to leave and we got to find a new place to graze, a new place to feed. And in order to get from here to there, I might have to take you down to the deep, dark places of your journey. And sometimes there are predators down there. There are wolves, there are lions, there are bears, and I will lead you. I'm with you. Let's go. Can I just say a disclaimer before we go any further? Sheep aren't the most intelligent creatures. Now, according to new research, they're not the dumbest creatures, but they're also not the most intelligent. They're in need of constant care, guidance, and rescuing. This video might help you understand that. That sheep gives us all a bad name. So when God compares us to sheep, it is not exactly a compliment. But he loves us. And the good shepherd, although he has to rescue his sheep again and again and again, when they get themselves caught in a ditch of life, and sometimes they say, I will never do it again, Lord, thank you for rescuing me, we soon find ourselves in the exact same spot and the same ditch we said we were never going to go back to. And the good shepherd, in his mercy and grace, rescues us again. The shepherd and the sheep's lives are in constant movement from one place to another, journey full of ups and downs and joys and sorrows, refreshment and fatigue, good and bad, changes and transitions, potential threats and dangers. Doesn't that sound a lot like life? It does. And that's why Psalm 23 is using this metaphor of sheep and shepherd and, and what the shepherd does for the sheep and how the sheep behave. And it's a metaphor all illuminating in an illustration of God saying, I'm the shepherd, I care for you, I'm with you, and you're the sheep. You need constant guidance and constant care. 
and I'm here to lead you on the paths of righteousness, on the paths of living well, because I love you and I care for you, and it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay with me, the good shepherd, by your side, in front of you, beside you, behind you, living inside of you. You know, people say things like when we go through pain or hardships in life, which Psalm 23 verse 4 is talking about low valleys or the, the dark valleys, and we often try to run away from pain. Nobody in their right mind, Christian or not, says, I would love a dose of more pain, please. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we thank God for a rough situation only when we begin to realize he's still in control, even though our world is falling apart or seems to be falling apart. We don't necessarily pray for more pain, but we somehow get to a point where we actually say, you're working to redeem the situation, so I thank you for this situation. Or we can look back on certain situations of pain and valleys and say, I saw you now. I see you now. Thank you for doing that. But nobody in their right mind, no matter how spiritual they are, loves pain and prays for more pain. And if they do, I don't think that's healthy and normal and right. And I don't even think that's spiritual, actually. I think that's something else. You know, people say really dumb things to people when they're going through pain. And one of those dumb things, one of those dumb things, and if you've ever said this dumb thing to someone going through pain, I want you to know I forgive you. The line is this, hey, no pain, no gain. What a stupid comment. My, if my son was here, he'd be like, oh, daddy said stupid. Right? You know, the people who say that to me in life, when I find out they're going through pain, you know what I do to them? Hey, no pain, no gain. And the usual response I get is, oh, shut up. We cannot keep ourselves from ever experiencing pain. We want to. We, we, even, we even teach our children, don't do that because you're going to get hurt. That's what good parents do, by the way. But sometimes kids have minds of their own and they make decisions of their own and they, they get a little crazy, they climb things, they break an arm, they break a bone, they do risky things. But part of that is also living and being alive, guys. We can't mitigate every single risk. We can't be risk adverse. We need to learn to take some level of risks in life, and some of those may cause us failure, rejection, and something we hate, pain and suffering. But that's part of life. And my hunch is this. My hunch is people, people have this false expectation and this false belief about God the Father, the Good Shepherd, about living and pain, and here it is, and it needs to be destroyed. This lie, this myth is, if God is loving and he is good, he would not have let this bad thing happen to me. If God was good and he loved me, why would he let this happen to me and to us? Imagine if your children got hurt and they in turn turned around and got angry with their parents. It would be rather bizarre. But sometimes when we get hurt, we look at God the Father and we go, how could you? Why did you? Did, did you forget about me? Are you still here? And God is still here. And he is ever present. And he is with you. And he is with me. And maybe it was our decision. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was someone else's decision. 
But here's the thing. God didn't promise the absence of pain, but his presence in the pain. Let me read that again. God didn't promise the absence of pain, but his presence in the pain. He is present. He is there. He is with you. He is with me. And he guides and he leads and he shepherds us through the deepest, darkest valleys of life that we know and experience. And it's not fun, but he does it. And even when we get mad at him and blame him and we project onto God because we're going through a, a rough time and a miserable time, we then say, God, how could you let this happen? This must be how you feel about me because I'm going through hell and back and misery. Therefore, you must feel that toward me. And that is not true. How you feel and what you're going through isn't how God feels about you. So when we walk through the dark, difficult valleys, I need to know a couple of things. What are they? Number one, not if, but when. Not if I get sick. Not if I fail. Not if I get rejected. Not if I lose my job. Not if I get COVID. Not if I ever catch the flu. Not if I get terminal illness, potentially. Not if I'm going to die. Not if my loved ones are going to die. Not if, but when. But when. And when we think and live in the world of, if I ever, if I ever feel pain, if I ever suffer, that's why we get disappointed and we blame God for the things that happen or don't happen to us. Psalm 23, 4 says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice the first word, even, even. You can replace that word with in spite of the fact of the assumption that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. In the CSB it says, even when I go through the darkest valley, the deepest, darkest, difficult times in the valley and valleys of my life and yours. You know, life is not a sunny day every day. Clearly you know this is true because you live in Edmonton and in Edmonton in June we had record rainfalls. John Bunyan says this to give perspective on dark, cloudy moments in life. He says, dark clouds bring waters when the bright bring none. And all the farmers said amen. amen. Psalm 23 was written by a guy named David. We know him as King David. He spent his early years working as a shepherd boy. A humbling job. A shepherd boy. Warding off animals. By yourself. Rescuing sheep, correcting sheep, feeding sheep, caring for their needs, befriending sheep, speaking sheep. He's done this all of his life and then he becomes a king and he lives a life and he begins to realize so much about God. And he learns. And he learns and he begins to compare this is a great picture of us and God. God is a good shepherd and we are his sheep. And he understood how much sheep needed to be led and to be cared for. And he's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. He shared the intimate relationship with the Lord and life full of ups and downs. If you ever get a chance to read the story of King David, you should. Because his life is, oh my goodness, it's full of like crazy things and horrible things 
broken family. I mean, David was a mighty king. He was a man of God, a mighty warrior, but a lousy father. And far from perfect, and yet God deems this sheep a man after God, God's own heart. A shift in the psalm takes place. In the beginning of Psalm 23, which we've been through, it talks about God. What did we say about God? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What else about God? Uh, he, he uh, he's my shepherd, I shall not want. What else about God? Uh, he makes, uh, he leads me beside uh, quiet waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Now the psalm shifts about talking about God to talking directly to God. I need you to understand this because when you're going through the deepest, darkest times of your life, it is declaring that God is ever present with you. Because the psalm shifts from moving from talking about God when I'm in green pastures, when times are good, I talk about God, and when I'm in the deepest, darkest valley and the trial of my life, I begin to talk directly to God, meaning that he is with me, I can talk directly to him, I can ask him for help. And in the deepest, darkest time, God wants to show you and me that he is ever present more than ever. Even, even when we face the shadow of death. And it might not be us, it might be someone we love that has died. Let me tell you about a friend in a story who died. His name was Brian Bergstrom. He attended the Southwest Campus, and even when it was in the theater as White Mud Creek Campus, uh, he attended there. Before he was a congregant, he was my friend. And I did his funeral just uh, coming on a year ago here, so I think of him and his family. And I had permission from his wife to share this. And Brian, uh, Brian, when he was alive, I had called Brian because he was a carpenter and a tradesman and a very good one, and I respect that. So I had DIY'd and finished my basement to the best of my, my God-given ability to finish basements, which isn't very much. And I had dry, done some drywalling. And when you drywall, you need to put mud, drywall mud on it. It's like this white paste. And you spread it on the wall to cover the lines, the crevices, the uneven parts, the screws, the nails, the dents. And then you sand it and make it look all shiny and pretty and flat. Well, my wall wasn't flat. I kept adding more mud to even it out and sanding. The more mud I added, the more I sanded, the more and more it just was not looking nice. So I thought I could add more mud and fix my problem. My soon-to-be flat wall became a three-dimensional wall. <laughs> so I invited Brian Bergstrom over and I said, hey, bro, can you help me fix some stuff? Uh, he says, yeah, what's the first job? I said, yeah, right here, this wall. Take a look. Can you fix that? And he went, oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, good, or oh, wow, bad? And he didn't say anything. I started getting really insecure. And I said, so can you fix it? And he said, well, who did this? <laughs> I said, just some guy. He said, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Well, can you fix it? Yes, Neil, I can fix it. But this some guy should be fired. <laughs> Why, thank you, Brian. I'll pass that along to him. I might be seeing him later on. 
and Brian fixed it and it was beautiful when it was done. And then we moved on to the next couple of other jobs. I won't tell you what he said there. <laughs> Little did I know, months after that, my friend Brian died. Just one day he died. He had succumbed to his battle with mental illness. It was heartbreaking. And I did his funeral right here. You know, as a pastor in my short lifetime, I have buried a lot of people that I love. It's a lot more fun to marry your friends off rather than to bury your friends. That's hard. Days after that, I got a phone call that my cousin died, tragically, in his sleep. Two days after that, all within one week, a very close friend of mine also died from COVID. Then, a month after that, my friend died, also from mental illness. You know, hate is a very strong word, and I can honestly say that I absolutely hate death. And then I realized something. Death is not a matter of if, but when. And I realized something else. You know who hates death more than we do? The Good Shepherd does. And you know why he hates death? more than we do? He hates death because it's plagued his sheep and his kids and his children and death has come because of the consequences of the fall which sin brought about into all his sheepfold. And the wages of sin is death. And so he comes, the good shepherd sends his own son to take care of death so his sheep could ever live again in his eternal presence once again. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, it says the last enemy to be abolished is death. Thank you, God, you fixed death because I hate it. And I'm glad you do too. And that you did something about it. And that's why there's hope because for the Christian, their glory days are not a thing of the past. For the Christian, their glory days are a thing of the future. Amen? Death may be fatal, but with Jesus, death will not be final. And that's a beautiful thing to be praised. Although one of the threats being addressed in this psalm is death, do not be misled. It is for the living, too. The words are not in the future tense and therefore are not only reserved for a distant moment. You know, when walking through the valley of the shadow of death or the deepest, darkest valley of difficult times, I need to know it's not a matter of if, but when. Number two, I need to know it's not fear, but secured. It's not fear, but secured. I'm secured because he's with me. I'm secured because the good shepherd's leading me. I'm secured because the good shepherd, even if in this life, doesn't save me physically, he will meet me on the other side of death anyways. So nothing will stop him from being with me and nothing will stop him from ever losing me or one of his sheep or one of his children or one of his people. And that's why, even though I go through the dark, dark, dark valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 says, I fear no danger, for you are 
with me. Anytime fear is in the driver's seat, God isn't. Anytime fear is in the driver's seat, God isn't. People make some of the worst decisions when they have fear and pressure. They're scared. They're scared, and so they, they, they make a decision out of protection. They make a decision out of scarcity. They make a decision to latch on, to self-preserve. And when we make decisions under the pressure of fear, we make very poor decisions. And God the Father, the Good Shepherd, says, you don't need to fear. I'm with you. I love you. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. I will protect you. I need you to listen to me. I need you to follow me. I'm here. I got you. And when God is present, we can have all the confidence in the world when our Heavenly Father and when we know He is with us. Not fear, but secure. I had a small dad win recently. We were in Maui this past May. It was awesome. My, my wife Amanda and Zachary were with us. We went with the family. And we had convinced Zachary to go on this little excursion. It was zip lining, a zip lining excursion in Maui. And uh, the family we went with, the family friends we went with, they have a young, young boy also. His name is Ryan. And Zach and Ryan are buddies. And so we convinced Zachary to go zip lining for the first time. We were so excited he was going, not because he was zip lining, but because Amanda and I would get some time alone. Yeah. And on the day of, we woke up in our vacation beds and we got him all dressed up and ready to go. And only hours before we could enjoy some peace and quiet by the pool. He had cold feet. He freaked out. He said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anymore, Daddy. Mommy, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. Please don't make me go. And I was like, <clears throat> you're going. <laughs> and then his mother gave me that look. Like, you need to talk to him. So I knelt down to his level. I said, can I pray for you? So I prayed for the little guy. In Jesus' name, amen. I said, do you feel better? He said, no. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, listen. If there's, if there's one thing I can do for you, if there's one thing your father can do for you to help you to have the confidence to go ziplining, I know it's your first time. What would that be? And he said, I know, Dad. If you go with me, I said very quickly, pick something else. <laughs> and my nine-year-old son's countenance went down. And then I looked over at his mother. You know the look, right? Your mother will go with you. <laughs> Remember in the beginning I told you I had a fear of heights? It's for real. I went with him, and his countenance changed, and he was doing the happy dance. His fears went away. We got to the tower of the zip line, number one, this giant zip line, and all I could think about climbing up this tower was, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, even though, okay, okay. And we're both standing on the top of this tower with a small group of people. There's no railing. There's these two lines that are going down. All I could think about was, we are going to plunge to our death. At least we're going to die in Maui. <laughs> and the resident zipliner staff saw my death grip on the cable. I mean, it was like deathly. And then he saw that he looked at me, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, hey, guy, 
it's going to be okay. And then one, two, three, Zach and I went down this long, high zip line. We were screaming, laughing, having so much fun. I thought my heart was going to explode out of my chest. They caught us on the other side, so we went crashing to this giant beam. Zach and I hugged and embraced because we were alive. And it was so cool, and we could go home, and we, we felt like we just conquered something together. And uh, the staff guy said, uh, no, 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 you aren't going home. One zip line down, four more to go. <laughs> Why did I let my friends book that? <laughs> you have every reason to be scared in life, just like Zachary. You have every reason to fear your health your finances, job security. We've had so much fear in the last three years. Fear loss of loved ones, fear of uncertainty, the fear of the what ifs of tomorrow, fear of zip lining. But when he knew his father was going with him, he had the confidence to go. When we know our Father is with us and going to go with us, we ought to have the confidence that the big guy, the mighty one, the most powerful one, the good one, the good shepherd, is going with us and his presence is with us. You know, his presence is a the dominant theme of Psalm 23. Let me say, it is at the dangerous moment pictured in the psalm that he, the he of Psalm 23, changes to you. You, you, Lord, are with me. You, Lord, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. When walking through the dark valleys of life, it's not a situation of if, but when. Not fear, but secure. And number three, I'll give you the presence issue from another angle. Not his absence, but his presence. In Psalm 23, 4, it says, For you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You might say, you know what, Neil? I know, I know God is with me. I believe God is with me in my dark time. But here's the thing. There's something in my subconscious mind saying, I love him. I don't want to come across mean and faithless and weak. It's okay. But I need a little bit more in my dark, difficult valley pain and suffering than the fact of God's presence. I need him to take the pain away. I need him to fix this. I need him to heal so-and-so or whatever so-and-so. I need him to remove it now because he's powerful and he can do anything he wants, which is completely logical and true. Might I just say something? His presence may not seem like a big deal, maybe it does to you, but it is a big deal. And here's why. Your wanting the removal of pain is a logical, initial response to pain. It's the first thing that comes out of the gate. After you subside and calm down from your knee-jerk response to pain, take it away, take it away, take it away, you subside and you calm down. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the time your world was falling apart? Or one of them? Which family member was there when the chips were down? 
Which friend was there cooking for you, helping you with house duties, helping your kids, helping your spouses? Which, which friend didn't judge you? Which friend stood by your hospital bedside? Which friend and family, which are those people that gave you the gift of their presence in your valley? What did it mean to you? I can tell you. It meant everything to you. Did they remove the pain? Well, of course not. They don't have the power to. But did they remove the pain? Well, no. But did it make it better? Yes. God never promised the absence of pain. He promised his presence in the pain. And his presence is everything and gives us the confidence to walk through the darkest times that we may and will ever continue to face. And what if I die? What if I die in the valley? And even if I die in the valley, he will not only walk in the valley with me, through the valley with me, he'll meet me on the other side. I will take my, my, my last breath on earth and my first breath in eternity in his presence. He is good. You know, his rod and his staff that is spoken about here not only is a, a shepherd's hook or a staff to ward off enemies and predators attacking the sheep, but it's also to correct and discipline the sheep. When the sheep are walking and veering off the cliffs and the mountains and the dangers, and they're walking and doing things they shouldn't be doing, the shepherd will use his rod and staff to correct the sheep and discipline them to care for them, to save them, to send them in another direction and the right path. And God disciplines us sometimes, and it doesn't always feel great, it doesn't always feel good, but know that he does so in his correction to produce our character, our competencies, and to care for us. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him with that thing you're going through? You trust him with that thing that's making you feel that nobody understands and will ever well? Do you trust him with your fears? Do you trust him with your life? He's got you. He's with you. He's with you. He is with you. He is with me. Let me land the plane with this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we learn some things about death. And we can now say, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That stuff that you're going through in life, the faithfulness in you living for God and living for the shepherd, the pain that you're going through, the valleys that you're going through, the valleys that he's taking you out of, it's not for nothing. Because the Lord gives purpose and meaning to all. Because he redeems and he cares. And it is for something. It wasn't for nothing. Death no longer is the end, but the beginning. Death may be fatal, but no longer final. 
Death is no longer a termination, but a transition and a destination. Death is truly a shadow. And how many of you know shadows are big, dark, and scary, but they can no longer hurt you? They can no longer hurt you. The shadow of death that casts over all of us because of our Savior. It's not a question of if, but when. Not fear, but secure. Not his absence, but his presence. So do you trust him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and your kindness and your goodness. Father, in a room this size where some of us are going through things, some of us are facing things, Lord, that we don't know what to do. We just don't know what to do. Some of us are at the end of our rope. Some of us are at wit's end. Some of us are losing health, sleep, joy. It's just robbing us. But Father, you are the good shepherd. Would you restore us? Would you guide us? Would you help us to trust you with everything? With everything. We give it all to you. We cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. You don't meet us on the other side of the valley. You lead us through the valley. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're with us. Even when we don't feel it, we trust that you're at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.